nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry-free. Hi, I'm Macaulay Jones. Dick Johnson from DJR Team Penske, and you're on Inside Supercar. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Lavelle, and we're joined by the newest of the man on the block for uh, for 2022, Thomas Randall, fresh from Hidden Valley, now in Queensland. Welcome to Inside Supercars again, Tom. Tony, thank you, and great to hear from you and Craig. Thanks for having me on the show. Fantastic, and it was just wonderful to hear that news, which I'm sure that you would... uh, be uh, well know that it was news that was long, long waited for and uh, enjoyed by many people around the country that you will be in the fourth of the Tickford Racing Mustangs in 2022. Fantastic news. You take us through what happened. Well, firstly, you probably could say that 20 or 30 times and I still wouldn't get to hearing it. <laughs> so look, it was it was more of a surprise that it got announced when it did, to be honest. I mean, I guess I and the team have known about it for, for a while now, and we've been waiting on that wreck, as obviously, and they announced the wreck Friday morning, and then I had uh, one of the journos from Bear Cafe come up to me and said, oh, congratulations, I heard you've got this the full-time gig with Tickford, you know, how do you feel? And I said, wait, wait, what? He said, yeah, Tim just told me. Uh, what are your thoughts? And he literally put the micro, uh, his microphone in front of me and I said, oh, hold that thought. So I went up to Tim and I said, hey, is this something that's, that's developed very recently or something you've told Cafe? And he said, oh, yeah, I might have uh, accidentally told them that you're on the grid next year. And I said, oh, okay. So what, like, can I say? What can't I say? Um, and he said, look, just be loud and proud, and uh, and that's yeah, sort of when I was able to. I think it was Simon, and I said, "All right, <laughs> I'm free free to speak." So yeah, like I said, I, I wasn't as much surprised that I well got the drive. I was just surprised that the announcement was then. But to be honest, it kind of made sense because fourth wreck got announced, and it all I think it yeah flowed really well. And really, there's no better time to make an announcement like that than when you're actually at the racetrack. It's on live TV and you're actually racing in the championship. So probably couldn't have been a better time to do it. And just, yeah, the way that it happened was <laughs> was quite funny. So even our yeah, PR guy, Mitch, he, he wasn't, he didn't know that it had been, uh, the news had been broken. So it was pretty cool. Did it happen before your first session on the Friday? It did, yeah. Yeah, so I was currently, sorry, I was in the main garage at that point. I think I'd just gone down to do a sort of a pre-brief of the day in the in the in the truck. Then I walked in the main main pits just to watch the the bikes actually. And yeah, that's sort of when it when it happened. But I yeah found out about the wreck that morning, and then it wasn't long after that. So it was kind of like the obvious question: Oh, 
say I've heard, so you're back to four cars, who's the driver? And currently, as it stands, I'm the only contracted Tickford driver for next year. So I think it, yeah, it was probably, like I said, the right time to announce it. And I guess it just gives myself and the team that sort of six months to prepare for next year, you know, whether it's trying to find sponsors or just trying to get everything organized. It, it just makes life a bit easier. So, and it's, it's nice bit of relief from my side of things and, and my family because it's been such a long journey to get to this point and we've sort of been denied on multiple occasions of the, of the drive, not from any one particular person's fault, just really circumstances that we couldn't control. So for it to happen, finally, um, yeah, it still feels pretty surreal. And, of course, we'd have to go back to, I think it was probably 2016 was the last time we had 26 cars on the grid. Um, it was the time when, uh, for instance, uh, Aaron Russell was driving in an Erebus uh, car and that sort of time. So, yeah, yeah, it's terrific to see. Uh, I'm a bit sad that um, Matt Stone didn't get their third uh, licence. Um, it would have been terrific to have seen us, you know, getting that back up to... 26 cars again rather than 25 as it will be. But, you know, I mean, unfortunately, uh, I don't think they've uh, divulged the reasoning behind it. But anyway, more to the point, let's get on and talk about uh, the weekend. So your best qualifying was on Saturday. Um, but all three of your qualifying sessions, you know, to be inside the 20, as we know, that you know, there are no drongos out there. And every team is uh, puts a pretty good unit on the, on the uh, track. Um, so a 12th was first, um, and then you uh, finished, I think it was 11th in that race, was it? I think it was it? Uh, no, no, so the first, Yeah, sorry. So my, my best quality was actually on Sunday. I got 16th on the, for the final race. So I had two 17th right. and a 16th, and then oh, yeah, race yeah, one yeah. avoided the carnage. <laughs> Very much got lucky, just like I kind of did at the Tail and Ben race two when there was that. Uh, hairpin pilot, <laughs> so managed to close the carnage once again. But yeah, best race result was Saturday with a ninth, yeah. and then on Sunday, the last race finished 11th. But uh, that's part of why you're employed, of course. It's not just lucky, mate. Um, I'm sorry, but it's the skill you've learned as to how to actually dodge those things. Because I remember the footage of the, uh, the tail and bend carnage. And I remember the commentators, actually, Scaife and Crompton, it might have been, um, talking about it and how you weaved your way through things. You actually, you could see where you made decisions going through the, the carnage there on the track and you made it through safely without damage. So don't discount, you know, oh, lucky. Nah, sorry, it doesn't wash with me. <laughs> I guess I got lucky that I wasn't um, turned around and that no one you know, I guess, spun into me. But it is tricky because if someone's spinning, sometimes they try and keep their foot into it because your initial reaction might be like, oh, crap, you know, I've spun. And first thought is trying to get it back straight to, you know, follow the racing line. But in reality, you need to put the brake on because there's nothing worse than trying to avoid a car that's still moving, especially one that's moving in a, in a lateral direction, not with the flow of the track. So in those scenarios, you've got to look, you really got to look ahead and 
trying to look in between the cars, especially when if there's a car directly in front of you, there's really not much you can do. You just got to sometimes you even have to look, try and look through their rear windshield, through their front windshield, if that makes sense, to see if something's yeah. happening. And I actually had to go on the grass on the inside of turn one. So I was actually off the track to avoid the carnage because I think possibly Hazelwood or Coulthard was coming across. So, yeah, and then people followed me on the grass. And then similar thing at Taylor and Bend where I just followed Shane Van Gisbergen because really, if anyone gets through carnage, it's Shane. So twice I've been lucky to come out on top. But, I mean, there was still... 35 laps left of the race after the safety car period. So I yeah, had to stay level-headed. And, and uh, yeah, if you can move forward at the start of the race, even if it's not from carnage, if it's just from just general good driving or good racecraft, it, it really opens up your, your strategy and your options for the rest of the race. Did you find that uh, one side or the other of the track had a big advantage with your starts? Surprisingly not. I actually thought that the inside was going to be really difficult because really you don't, you just, there's no reason to go down the, the left hand side of the track on the straight because you exit the final corner. The final corner is a left hander and the first corner is a left hander. So you exit the final corner all the way to the right hand side and then you exit, uh, then you enter turn one on the right hand side. So there's really no reason to be on the inside and there's a lot of, a lot of rubbish. A lot of marbles, and there wasn't really as many car support categories as there normally are. I mean, we had the bikes, and we had uh, the combined sedans and stadium super trucks. So normally you have Porsche Carrera Cup, where they lay quite a lot of rubber down. So we didn't have that. And coming to the grid, you can see there was a bit of you know crap on the road, if you want to put it. And actually, my second race, so two of my races, I started on the left hand side, and it was like a three point eight which for a 0 to 100 on the left-hand side is not too bad. Um, but And then the last race, I think it was very similar, and I was on the right-hand side. But, I mean, you look at race one, Shane Lenzisberg was on the inside, starting from the second row, and, and he got to the lead. So there wasn't wasn't a massive disparity between inside or outside, which was certainly great for us drivers. One of the biggest differences between the category you last won in, that being Super 2, and the main game, is the pit stops. Now you have them as a regular thing. And you finding uh, the more you do it, the more comfortable you are with it, hitting the spot, so to speak? Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of just like anything in regards to the more practice you get, the, the better you are. And I actually made a bit of an error in the first race where I stalled it out of the box. And I was really kicking myself because I'd made up all those positions from avoiding the carnage, and we were in a great spot. We were sort of battling JC there for like fifth, fifth position, and I stalled in the box, and I had a look at the, at the data, and I just held too much throttle on before they released me, and it just fueled up the engine, and it, and it died. So that was something I worked on for race two and three, and it's not really until you have those mistakes that you go, okay, I know what these consequences are, so I, I know what happens if I do this, It'll, it'll have this outcome, and if I don't do that, I'll have a much better outcome. And, and really, the best time to make those mistakes are when you're in a position where I am, where you're not going for a championship, you're not going for really any position in the championship because you're only doing three rounds. So it doesn't matter if, 
it doesn't matter as much if you have something like that happen. And really, it's not wasn't the end of the day. It was just and more of a annoyance where I'd lost probably three and a half. I think I lost that three three and a half seconds from stalling. I mean, we saw on Sunday, Anton had a stall as well. So it's it's not uncommon, but it's just sometimes until you make a mistake, it's really the only way to minimise it. So um, yeah, certainly learned from that. And then the the, the Sunday pit stops were faultless. So um, just looking forward to next year where my pit food will be a lot further up the crib. Now, uh, the one particular thing that I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading, and I will name him, is Simon Chapman, who you spoke of uh, earlier talking to you about the uh, the wreck. Um, Simon's a young journalist I met some years ago in New Zealand. He came across and joined Speed Cafe last year and obviously ran into the COVID uh, wall. But um, he wrote a piece which I thoroughly enjoyed reading. I remember watching and listening to, and I've already told you that both uh, Mark Scaife and Marcus Ambrose are uh, uh, members of your fan club, and because they talked about that pass that you did, and the pass that uh, when uh, Anton Di Pasquale, who had found himself back in the pack after being uh, obviously qualifying third earlier, um, and that he came alongside you, and that you swapped sides. But I'd like to hear your words in telling us about how lap 34, turn one, you've only got a few laps to the end of the race, and there you are fighting for 11th place. That's mine. No, it's not. Tell us, please. <laughs> it's probably the hardest I've ever fought for 11th. <laughs> but to be honest, I made the mistake. Well, the funny thing is, is that we wouldn't be talking about this and there wouldn't have been an article, there would have been no talk if I hadn't hadn't have made a mistake to begin with. If I had to just not outbreak myself, not locked a wheel into that last corner, kept it on the line and finished 11th, it would have just been like, oh, yeah, he's finished 11th. But the fact that a blunder of mine has led to this is, is pretty funny. But anyway, basically what happened was I was trying to pressure Will Brown into a mistake because I had about eight lap fresher tyres. So we opted to stay out a bit longer. We had this, we had the car speed to stay out longer in that first stint. And anyway, I was trying to pressure him into a mistake, and he made a couple, but he still wasn't letting up. Anyway, I ended up then making my own mistake and just pushed it a bit too far on the entry. I tried to carry too much speed into the final corner, and and I just saw the lock lights come on, and I thought, oh, yeah, I've uh, mucked this up. So anyway, I ran wide, and then at that point, Anton had caught me because I was stuck behind Will. So while I was chasing Will, Anton was just sort of there or thereabouts. But once I caught Will, yeah, he was on my rear. So it was kind of the old pass or be passed scenario. And my mistake led to him going up the inside. And I didn't have, well, I had quite a while to think about what to do because it's such a long straight. But I didn't have a lot of time to sort of reminisce on my error. All I thought was, no way. This is not how this race is going to end. It's, it ain't going to go down like this because I knew that. The move he did on me wasn't a legitimate pass. I knew that I'd gifted him that position. So along that drag strip of the main straight, I was just thinking of all different options. I mean, I had a bit of side draft leading up to the start line. And I thought, no, that's not going to work. You're trying to go around the outside. It's just too risky. He can easily push me off because he's got right of way. And it's so late in the race. I don't want to risk a silly outside overtake. So anyway, as we're heading down the straight, I thought, all right. I remember Ricardo pulling this. I remember Ricardo pulling this sort of move a few years ago, and 
I knew this was the closest I was going to be to him. So I just lifted out of the throttle ever so slightly. Pretty late. I wanted to do it as late as possible because if I did it too early, he would know what I was up to and and try and defend. And then I'd have no chance. So anyway, I left it as late as I could just before the braking zone and then spotted him behind him to try and get that last bit of the split stream. And then he, he braked considerably earlier than I was expecting. So it just made the pass a little bit easy because I was able to sort of still break at the normal braking zone. And then I just fired it down the inside. And at that point, he would have been looking in his right-hand mirror. And by the time he sort of noticed, I was already well and truly up the inside. And I was like, I knew it as I was going down the straight. I, I have to finish in front of him because I've done all this bloody hard work. So anyway, so I tuck it down the inside and we slightly touched at the apex. Nothing major. Like I barely felt it. And I uh, didn't run him off the road on the end. It was just uh, ended up being a really clean overtake. And once I completed it, I thought, right, He's just definitely not getting past me again. So once once bitten, twice shy. So and then I ended up putting more I ended up getting back onto the back of Will Brown, but the race was over by then. So yeah, probably one of the best eleventh place overtakes I reckon I've ever done. <laughs> well, of course the interesting thing is that Anton has exactly the same thing that I believe you have. And you've both been case hardened in Europe. You've both learnt the lesson about hang on this 11th place is mine. And, you know, that's the demonstration of it. The other part of what you just described to me about you making a mistake, it's not necessarily the fact you make a mistake, it's how you recover from mistakes that determines as to how you're going to go in life. And it's the recovery from those situations that determines as to where you will end up. And the fact that you're in a full-time drive in 2022 is a clear demonstration of why you are, okay? That's it in a nutshell. Appreciate that. Thank you. Tony, uh, sorry, Thomas, with now being a main game driver elect, do you find, did you find that they were treating you any differently than a typical wild card? And even not on the track, but off the track as well, did people sort of, all right, this guy is going to be with us a lot more in the future? To be honest, I think, they probably treated me worse at Tail and Benz because the last thing you really want is a wild card beating you when you might have been in super you might be in supercars for the last five years or ten years and you've got this guy that comes in in a wild card he's not doing all the rounds. I mean, before Tail and Bend, I hadn't been in a supercar. I hadn't raced a supercar since the Bathurst One Thousand last year. So the last thing you want as a driver is to be beaten by them. And if you're close enough, you probably just bully them into them off and I, I did definitely got bullied at uh, tail and bend especially the last race and then at, at uh, Darwin the first race on Sunday I was bullied a little bit I, I actually got hit off the road and and uh, it, I ended up going back to last so it, again it, that's where I think this wild card program is good because I can learn that quite quickly and make sure I don't make the same mistakes and after what happened at the start of Sunday's race, I mean, we got back up to about 17th before we retired the car, but it just allowed me to understand, okay, if they're going to like half show the nose on lap one, they're probably going to throw it in and they're going to just expect me to get out of the way. So the last race, I really just made sure that no one got past me. And it's amazing how much it advantages you because 
you, you, you're still in such a good spot where you're qualified or maybe even higher. I mean, before I pitted, I think I was up to about 12th anyway. So it just, yeah, really opens up the race and it's easier to drive and it's nice to be in a bit of clear air or, or you're just you're not frustrated because you know that that's where you are. And the last thing you really want is when you finish a race is getting out of the car and going, oh, you know, if only this didn't happen or, or if we didn't get shoved off or if we didn't get hit off or blah, blah, blah. If you could just go, you know what, we probably ticked every box we could and maximise that race. That's really, that's that's what every driver and engineer and team combination wants is to be able to say that after each race. And you have been doing a university degree. What's 2021 like and will it be finished in time to go full-time in 2022? Well, the uni won't be finished to go. I won't be going full-time at uni anytime soon, that's for sure, but I haven't been full-time for a while. I actually started my degree in 2015. I was full-time then, and then when I moved overseas to race in British F3, I had to withdraw from the unit because I, I couldn't do university in Melbourne from from Europe, especially when back then it was an on-campus course. So when I returned back to Melbourne in 2018 to do Super 2, I sort of reinstated my degree and I've been doing it part-time ever since. So it's going to take me another three years, I think. I'm, I'm, in, I'm up third year now. But at the end of the day, I mean, part-time is not too bad. And because of COVID, I've actually been able to put the, the, the degree online, which has been a massive benefit to me because trying to do, even part-time, trying to do uni on campus, especially where I, I do it at Swinburne, so in Hawthorne, it would require, it requires so much travel and a lot of time out of my day that really I could be doing other things. I mean, there's so much time in transit to, to Swinburne, it's probably in traffic, you know, over an hour there and back. But anyway, I'm going to keep doing my degree online and because I think I believe you need to have a backup or a plan B. And I mean, I've just announced I've gone full time with Tickford, but you just never know what can happen. So it's probably better that I finish that degree. And the whole team is fully supportive of me doing it and doing it part time sort of works really well because I can just sort of have it on in doing it in the background and there's really no um, issue from Swinburne's point of view of when I have to finish it, which is really good. And of course, this is a mechanical engineering degree. Yeah. And you can always come up with your point of view on those different setups. Could be the first um, uh, now racing got, doctor uh, if you kept going. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they wouldn't like it if I uh, if I demanded what to put in the car. They might, they might get a bit annoyed about that. But it, I think it, it's good from their point of view that, you know, they've got a driver who not is just wanting to be interested in that, but has actually started to say, our job obviously is to work with the engineer, but that's the engineer's role. So, and my role is to drive the car and provide back, and their, their role is to, yeah, really engineer the car. So, the most important bond is that driver engineer bond because you can imagine, like, engine, most engineers have never driven a race car, and the way we explain our feedback, I can imagine from their point of view, sometimes they must be like, okay, yeah, don't really like, trying to make them feel the car when they've, yeah, like I said, never really, never probably never driven a race car. 
and then asking them to tune the car based on their knowledge of what, you know, pushrod lengths or or camber change, Ackerman change or, you know, spring or, you know, perch offsets or whatever it may be, we've got to draw on, on their knowledge of that and how they believe that reacts, what, how that believe what that reaction makes to the car and how that affects what I feel in the car. Like, it's an amazing combination that I think is underrated, you know, and the fact that when you win a race or, or something like that, I think it's sometimes you, you, it, they come underrated because really it's, it's that that provides the winning edge and that's what everyone works so hard for up and down pit lane. For listeners, um, by the way, I, we're having this interview with Thomas on Zoom. So what he's actually demonstrating to me is the exact thing that I know is that drivers use their hands to describe the car to their engineer, as he has been demonstrating on the screen to me uh, <laughs> yet again, the, 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 the very important thing. Um, and uh, is your father got an mechan- uh, engineering degree? He sure does. Yep, he's got a mechanical yeah, engineering that's degree. Yeah, I thought. So uh, Thomas's yeah. father is Dean Randall, who was a uh, sports sedan champion and uh, built the mighty beast that, uh, Thomas, that's the next race car you're getting into, in fact, before Barbagello is the mighty Saab. Yep. And, that's, yep. Uh, and he, at, at, he engineers that too. Well, we, we yeah. all, him, him and one of my, uh, one of the guys that works at my dad's work, Adrian, him, dad, and I, we, on race weekends, like when we raced at Wakefield Park not that long ago, we're, trying to think how we can make the car better, looking for just flat out looking at the data, trying to make it fastest live rear end sub in the country. <laughs> so, um and, and when I raced S five thousand SMP back at the hotel room, Dad Dad was up there. Unfortunately he couldn't come to Darwin because of border restrictions, but he was with me at my last S five thousand round. Uh, actually he was at all of them, but back at the hotel room we were looking at the onboard and we were discussing, oh, you know, what should we do with the car, you know. So he's a very smart man and he's got a degree, he's raced and he's won a sports fan championship like you said. So I believe he's certainly more than qualified to have a very expert opinion on how Indeed, race indeed. Well, thanks very much, Thomas, for joining us on Inside Supercars. We look forward to catching up with you at a racetrack soon. I think probably Winton will be the next... Uh, time that I'm able to get there. Um, Craig, are you going to be a Winton bound again? I will be pending the junior football season, as listeners know from last week, where Frosty and I are both under eight coaches. (laughs) There you go. That's That's all ahead of you, Thomas, the uh, the chance to uh, be a coach of a a young underage uh, footy team. But thanks, Thomas. Enjoy your next week away and look forward to catching up when... uh, we see you next at Winton, but uh, have a good time up at Morgan Park. Thank you very much, guys. Always a pleasure. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more, or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. 
The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.